Well, our text tonight is in two places, the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus. The whole goal of tonight is to just embarrass you that your year through the Bible, you already blew it. You already stopped at Exodus 25, and you didn't even make to Leviticus, and if you did, you quit after chapter 3. No, I'm just kidding. What we're going to do is we're going to look at these two texts and point out something that maybe we haven't thought much about. We're going to talk about the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. Two places we'll look at its plan, because in Exodus 25, what God is doing is outlining the pattern for how it's to be constructed and, and then a little bit of how it is to be used. And then Leviticus 16, it will be used. And this is explicitly how it is to be used. And remember, in our Christ in the Old Testament series, our tent poles were between two and three. So we, we know what we know about the seed of the woman who crushed the head of the serpent. And we know about Abraham's promise. We haven't gotten to David. We're still in between there. We're in the land of Moses, right? This is the Mosaic law. Moses is writing all of this down for us. So let's just overview these texts. So the first one is Exodus 25, verses 17 through 22. So let me read these. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide. A cubit is about 18 inches, so a foot and a half. So just how you think about it. You shall make two cherubim, those are angels, of gold, and make them of hammered work on the, to the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim of one piece with the mercy seat at its two ends. The cherubim shall have their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat with their wings and facing one another. The faces of the cherubim are to be turned toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark, you shall put the testimony which I will give to you. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in command for the sons of Israel. Okay, so this is the pattern. This is in a section of the book of Exodus. After the Ten Commandments, God lays out construction design blueprints. This is how everything's supposed to be built. And you can see in the mercy seat, this is highly ornate. Because it's a, basically, it's a lid that goes on the box that is the Ark of the Covenant. And it's supposed to have been covered in gold. And then the cherubim, the angels, are supposed to be of all one piece with the lid. This is highly skilled work. And in Exodus chapter 31, the first person to ever be indwelt by the Spirit of God is a man named Bezalel. And he is a craftsman, highly skilled craftsman. That's it. You can see there, just as a side note, the way that God values work. We tend to think that the only work that God values is preaching and ministering and those kinds of things. But the first person to ever have the Holy Spirit is a craftsman. And he's in charge of making these things because it's got to be one piece. And this design is ornate. It's got to be to specs. So these angels, you picture them, they're on the ends of the lid. If this is the lid, there's one here and there's one here. They're facing each other. The wings over top are spread out. So it's like a covering, like a uh, pavilion over the top of the lid of the mercy seat. And the angel's faces are down. 
looking at the mercy seat. That's that's the way that this lid is supposed to look. So now, that's the description of it. Let's go to Leviticus 16 now, in verses 1 and 2, and then 11 and 16. So Leviticus 16 is the high point of that book. Everything beforehand builds up to it, and everything afterwards descends from it. It's the Day of Atonement how the people of God will be made right with God in the way that they every year have to make atonement for their sin with these two goats. There's two goats. There's a process for it. Everybody's there. It has to happen every year at a certain time. The mercy seat is uniquely involved in this process. So here, let me read these to you. Verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they had approached the presence of the Lord and died. It's another story for another day. The Lord said to Moses... Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. So the mercy seat is inside the holy of holies in the tabernacle and also in the temple when they get a permanent place. And God's spirit is above the ark of the covenant, above the mercy seat. So God's saying, Moses reiterates Aaron, who is the progenitor of all of the priests that would come after that, don't take this lightly. This is my presence. I am in there. You come in here in a wrong way, you will die. Case in point, your sons, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu in Leviticus 10. That's why he mentions it here. So this is a big deal. Now then you get into the process of how it's supposed to happen in verses we're not going to read all of the surrounding context. We just want to get to the actual mercy seat itself. But here's how the Day of Atonement would go. There's two goats. One, this Aaron would lay his hands on the head of this goat and confess all the sins of the people onto that goat's head. And then it would be sent out just to wander the wilderness, just sent out of the camp. That's where we get the term scapegoat from. King James Bible is the coins that phrase. So the scapegoat carries off all your guilt and it goes away from you. So you see the visual as the people, there goes our sin far, far from us to never be seen again. Then you have a second goat. Aaron confesses the sins of the people on that goat, but then that goat is sacrificed. So your sins are removed, but they also have to be paid for. So let's read now verses 11 through 16. Then Aaron shall offer the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. So Aaron is a sinner, so he has to be made atonement for himself before he can do it for the rest of the people. Remember reading in Hebrews 8, 9, and 10 about Jesus being the great high priest who doesn't need to make a sacrifice for himself because he is perfect. So this is the example of Aaron not being perfect and needing to make a sacrifice for himself before he can do that for the people. So he makes atonement for himself and his household, and he shall slaughter the bull of, of the sin offering, which is for himself. He shall take a fire pan full of coals of fire from upon the altar. There's an altar of incense in there, just burning always inside the tabernacle. Before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground sweet incense and bring it inside the veil. He shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the ark of the testimony. Otherwise, he will die, symbolizing the presence of God. Moreover, he shall take some of the blood of the bull 
and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. Also in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. The bull was for Aaron, the goats for the people. And bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat in front of the mercy seat. He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of the tra their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And thus he shall do for the tent of meeting which abides with them in the midst of their impurities. It's a long story, but do you see here that this is the Old Testament sacrificial system and there is a necessity of atonement. Your sins need to be atoned for. And there can only be one way that they're atoned for by the shedding of blood. Do you remember reading that in uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve sinned, and then after the cursing, what does God do? He clothes them. Where did he get that material from? Something else had to die because of their sin in order for them to be covered. So sin is always atoned for, forgiven for, by shedding of blood. And if you read all of the, uh, the Pentateuch, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy specifically, then you see the rhythm of priests is basically their butchers. All they do all day long, year in and year out, is kill animals and make sacrifices. And the imagery is supposed to be so vivid. That's how sinful we are. That's how much blood it takes. And it still never ends because we got to do it again tomorrow. And we're going to do all of this again next year, the exact same way, on the same days, in the same feasts. You're supposed to see all of that to know that's what my sin costs. And it's all centered around the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is inside. The tabernacle is a mobile temple. It's a tent that's box-shaped with a fence around it. That's just tent drapery around it that becomes permanent when Solomon builds the temple. And then Ezra, like we've read in the past few months, rebuilds that temple. The centrality of the Ark of the Covenant is where the atonement happens. It's got to go in there, the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God is, can be reconciled to a God who has determined himself to dwell among them. He can only dwell among them if they have had their sins forgiven. That's the sacrificial system. So there's three major atonement elements, location, mediator, and sacrifice. The location, in the Holy of Holies, on the mercy seat. That's where it has to happen. The blood has got to be sprinkled on that. Imagine this gold finely made, pristinely crafted, ornamental box, and then you sprinkle blood all over it. I mean, that was just, oh, just it's, and it's just grotesque, and you just ruin this gold thing, and then you got to wipe it down and do it all again. You're supposed to see that in the location, but then there's a mediator, because Aaron has to go in and do this, and it can only be the high priest, Aaron being the first of them. So you know the story of John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, when he goes in the Holy of Holies, he was high priest that year, and he had to go in and do that work. 
One guy once a year can go in and do those things. There has to be a mediator who has to be ritually cleansed from sin. And the third element of this system is a sacrifice. It has to be the choice and the best of your animals, your goat, your lamb, your bull, whatever it is. It has to be the best to be slaughtered and offered to God and the blood sprinkled. Now, how then do we connect this to Christ? There's a myriad of ways. We're going to run after one. We're going to go after the mercy seat. So read here in Hebrews 9, 1 through 7. We've read it before in our reading through it, but hear it again. Now, even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship in the earthly sanctuary. We get that. God orders worship. The first covenant, it's impossible to miss it. You see it there. But there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one in which we have the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread. This is called the holy place. But behind there is this holier place. The second veil was called the holy of holies. Having in that room a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold in which, so this is the stuff inside the Ark of the Covenant, inside the holy box the people carried around with them. There's three things. A golden jar holding the manna, Aaron's rod which budded, and the tables of the covenant. Three things that are inside this box. Remember those. And above it were cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot speak now in detail. Now when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle performing the divine worship. Continually, always, all the time which changes with Christ. But into the second, only the high priest enters into that Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant is once a year and not without taking blood. You can't go in there without the blood of sacrifice. You go in there without blood, you're gonna get killed. That's how holy God is and that's what he demands for sacrifice, for forgiveness. Once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people which they committed in ignorance, things they don't even know that they did. Now, why would you bring that up in the New Testament? As you read through Hebrews, you're like, yeah, okay, like, we already got that. We saw that in Exodus. We saw that in Leviticus. Why are you talking about it, author of Hebrews? I think it's Paul. Why are you talking about it now to us? Yeah, that was a thing. We, we get it. Well, let me read Romans 3 to help draw this to a conclusion. Romans 3, 21 to 26 but now, this is a great gospel paragraph. Some have said this is the greatest paragraph in the whole Bible. It's the most condensed with profound, earth-shattering justification, soteriological truths in these few verses. So let's read verse 21 through following. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, meaning the Old Testament has seen righteousness that's not according to the law and keeping the law. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And who's it for? All who believe. There's no distinction between people, groups, ethnicities, genders, all and on. Why? Because all have sinned and fall short of the God, falling short of God. You all need the same Savior. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed 
For the demonstration I say of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now in that paragraph, you're already starting to see connections to the Day of Atonement, the Ark of the Covenant, the sacrifices that are happening there. You're seeing the blood concept, the sacrifice concept there, all of those things being put together. What, you see, what you're seeing here that you're not seeing in Exodus and Leviticus is justification apart from the law, that we are saved not according to keeping law, but according to faith in Christ. That's the new covenant. But that's not the connection point that we're looking for. We're looking through a connection point through one word. That word is in verse 25, and it's the word propitiation. Do you know what that word means? Propitiation is the placating of the wrath of a deity. Now, hang with me here. We're going to thread a needle, and you got to stay with me to see it all connect. Propitiation is the word in Romans 3, is the Greek word hilasterion. Now, that's the same word that we read in Hebrews 9. But in Hebrews 9, we did not read the word propitiation. We read the word mercy seat in English. But it's the same Greek word, hilasterion propitiation, and mercy seat. Now, where do the New Testament authors get off using that word like that? Well, they just get it from Exodus and from Leviticus. But Exodus and Leviticus are written in Hebrew, so they don't use that word. But there was, in Jesus' day, a translation of the Old Testament into Greek so that everybody could read it. It was called the Septuagint. And in Exodus and Leviticus, it translated the word mercy seat as hilasterion. So you see now that the mercy seat is connected to the sacrifice of Jesus. Now let's put this all together. In the Old Covenant, what is inside the ark that we read? The jar of manna. Aaron's budded staff, his staff that buds and has perpetual these flowers on it, and the, the tablets of the law. What do those three things symbolize? They all symbolize sin. Because was that the first tablets of law? No, it's the second one. Why is it the second one? Because when Moses came down with the first one, the people were worshiping a golden calf and saying it was God and running around naked. So he shatters them, so you have a second one. We have broken law. The jar of manna. Why did they have manna? Was it because they were like, Lord, we know you could provide for us in any way possible, so we just trust you. No, it was because we want to go back to Egypt. This stinks, and you are a liar. And he says, I'll give you manna, a reminder of sin. And Aaron's staff is a symbol of Aaron's just up and down. He is always are always on the edge of doing something sinful and rebelling against even his own brother. So this box of worship contains symbols of human sin. Then what's over it? The Spirit of God. What's between man's sinfulness and the actual presence of God? There's one thing in between. The mercy seat. The hilasterion. And then you can't help but now see that as Jesus. 
Because imagine, just imagine the imagery. It's so simple and basic. A kid can see it, which is why God says in the book of Galatians that the law, the Old Testament, is like a tutor. It's like somebody talking to a child. You have no idea who I am. You have no idea how to function. So I'm going to tell you in baby steps. So then now look at this perspective from God's perspective that he is hovering above. Of course, he's not. It's all symbolic. But he's hovering above this box full of memorial to man's sinfulness. Then he looks down, and if he couldn't see everything, what would he see instead of the broken law, the jar of manna, of their sinful whining, and Aaron's staff, of man's inconsistency? What would he see? The blood of sacrifice. He would see that covering everything else. So then you can't help but see that that is Jesus that he is not only the means of expiation, meaning the means of how our sin is taken away from us, but he is the actual location of the sacrifice. He is the mercy seat. He's the lamb sprinkled blood on the mercy seat, and he's the priest who conducted the whole thing. You see all of that come together in that obvious image of God up top, man's sin at the bottom, and then a mediating element in between, covered in gold, but then sprinkled all over with blood. You see Christ there in this new covenant reality that he is the priest, he is the lamb, and he is the mercy seat. He's where sin goes to be paid for. He's the one paying for it, and he's the actual means of payment. He's the one who does it all. So then now you can tell yourself and you can tell your children that when God looks down, which he doesn't have to look down, he's everywhere all the time, always. But for our little peanut brains, when he looks down, what does he not see? Our sinfulness. He just sees a blood-covered mercy seat. That's what's between us. And therefore, in the Old Testament, God's wrath is placated for another year. But Hebrews talks about his wrath being placated for forever. Look at these verses, Hebrews 9, 22. And according to the law, one may almost say that all things are cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. We understand that. But we also understand Hebrews 10, 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then Hebrews 10, 10 and 14. By this, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. How many times? Once for all. That's it. Verse 11, every priest, meaning in the old covenant, stands daily ministering, offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. They don't take them away. They just cover them up for a year. But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins, for what time? all time sat down at the right hand of God of all the furniture that we read about in Hebrews 9 in the old covenant tabernacle and temple what's missing there's a table there's an altar there's a laver to wash your hands in there's an incense altar you know what's not in there a chair there's nowhere to sit down because that priest is never done he does none of his work sitting down because he's never done but Jesus is done that's why it says he sat down verse 12 and he's waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet for by one offering. How many offerings? One offering. He has perfected for all time 
those who are being sanctified. We see that in Christ. And then the last verse that I'll bring up is Romans 3, 26. We already read it, but this is where it all just, this is the payoff. He says, for the demonstration I say of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Somebody is punished for these sins. That's justice. But justification is that it wasn't you. It was the Lord Jesus in your place. And the people of Israel couldn't miss that because it's just day after day. And you walk by the temple, it just smells like blood and animal flesh. And you can't miss it. That wasn't me. That thing died instead of me. So we look to the cross in the same way. He died instead of me. So now there is a buffer eternally, once for all, between me and the wrath of God. So I don't have to fear like Aaron did, that I do it right so that I go in the presence of God so I won't die. There's been a perfect sacrifice made. It's done. We go in the presence of God all the time, every day, every time we pray, every time we get in the word, every time we come and gather together. We're in the presence of God without fear of death because the death already happened and it covered us once for all. Jesus is the mercy seat. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for these wonderful truths. We thank you that what you have done is made a picture that even a child can understand, can see you on top, us underneath with our sinfulness, our disappointing inconsistencies, our wickedness, and yet you place a mercy seat in between us, that there is a means of sacrifice, a location of sacrifice, and a mediator of that sacrifice. And we saw it in the Old Testament sacrificial system with sinners and animals, and we see it perfectly in the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest, our sacrificial lamb, and our hilasterion, our mercy seat, our location of atonement. We thank you, Lord, so much for these truths. And may we walk in great, humble confidence that you want us in your presence and we have no fear of death because you paved that way, placated that wrath. There's none left for us. There's no misstep that we can make because Christ has paid it all as our sacrifice. Lord, we bless your name this Lord's day, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.